Hey everybody, thanks for checking out the Glendale Road Church of Christ podcast. You're welcome to join us anytime you're around. We are at 1101 Glendale Road in Murray, Kentucky. We meet for worship every Sunday morning at 9 a.m., followed by our Bible study at 10 a.m., and we come back every Sunday evening for a bonus worship hour at 6 p.m. Also, every midweek on Wednesday at 7 p.m., we have a Bible study. You'd be welcome to join us. We'll be sure to save a seat for you. Now, here's this week's sermon. This morning's scripture reading is from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. If you're following along in the Pew Bible, it's page 1801. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. God is good all the time. Good to see you. We have a lot of visitors, and most of them are in red shirts. You can tell some of the visitors. Glad to have you all with us. And I think we have uh, some other members for Bible Bowl that are with us. Now, the kids have been studying, uh, what, since January? Is that right? Uh, Bible Bowl, uh, a study of the book of Romans. So they're going to know it and it'll sink in and they'll live it. So it was a good, good uh, study and glad you're here. I was asked by my little sister, Crystal, if I would pray for Peggy and Jamie Williams. We have, those of us that are members here, most of us know them. Uh, they've had health uh, str- struggles as of late, but I think they're on a positive trajectory, but it's always good to pray anyway. So bow with me, please. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, and Father, we are grateful for the salvation that we have through Jesus Christ, your grace, and the forgiveness of sins. Father, we pray for Peggy and for Jamie, that you'll bless them and those that attend to them and their needs. Bless their family who is always there to help, and we pray for them, lifting them before your name, asking you to provide for them as they need. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not there. For example, galaxies, atoms, protons, neutrons, electrons, morons, all the rest of it. But science has given us tools to see such things. The Dutch spectacle maker by the name of Zacharias Janssen made the earliest compound microscope around 1600. It could magnify an object up to 20 to 30 times what it actually was. And then not long after that, he and a couple other spectacle makers, uh, the Dutch had the market on this, they created the very first telescopes simultaneously, but not related. And the telescope has enabled us to see things and understand the cosmos a lot better than what we ever did before. Galileo's discoveries really gave us an understanding of things that we never could see, but that now seeing, we could understand. Now, we live in a very highly scientific world, and sometimes there's the temptation that science can become an idol. How many times, after all, over the last several years, have you heard, trust the science? If I never hear that phrase again, I will live a very happy life. But the reality of it, science is never settled. 
We continue to explore, to learn new things. One of the things that I really loved when I was taking classes, uh, working on a degree, I took a class about metaphysics. Y'all should look that up. It's a branch of philosophy. Uh, but essentially, metaphysics is looking beyond what is seen and talking about what can't be seen necessarily. So science doesn't prove everything. Uh, logical and mathematical truths, uh, science presupposes those. And think about when you see a beautiful sunset or a beautiful sunrise, or maybe you're at the beach and you just look out at the wonder and you hear the crashing of the wave and you see that. We all agree that there is something called beauty, but science can't prove it. Ethics or statements of value can't be proven by science. And science can't even prove its own method because it's permeated with unprovable assumptions. Now I bring all this up because this isn't a science class and if I had to teach science, we'd all fail, even myself. But many modern people who consider themselves very well educated and enlightened, even some Christians, look at a passage like this and think, you know, it's kind of a little silly. Demons and angels and all that stuff. But when you look at Scripture, and if you have the view of Scripture that I do, or many of us do, that it's divinely inspired, given to us by God, we have to look and say what he tells us about certain things, though it's rarely discussed, we have to understand and trust and have faith in God that this is how it works. So it was, it was a common belief in antiquity that when one nation defeated the other nation, the fight wasn't so much on the battlefield, but there was a fight in the heavenly places between the gods of each nation. And whoever prevailed on earth, it was because their gods had prevailed in these heavenly places. So you remember the book of Daniel in the beginning when uh, we're introduced to Nebuchadnezzar. He had taken the vessels that, had, that were in the temple and he actually placed them in the house of his god, Nabu. Now, it wasn't that the temple of Nabu was a storage unit, but rather that was a way of showing the spoils to his God because the Babylonians believed that their God had defeated the God of Israel. And so Paul somewhat draws on this common belief that these people had. And he says, you're not fighting against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, the powers, the rulers of the darkness and the spiritual hosts of wickedness. And he said, this is done in the heavenly places. And when we think about heaven, we think, well, heaven's up there, right? And that is how the word is often used in the Old Testament, the heavens. You have the sky, which is a heaven. You have outer space, which is a heaven. And then you have beyond that, the heaven where God is. But when we look at what Paul is saying and trying to understand these things, there are some scriptures that give us a little bit of insight as to what's going on. A uh, couple of them speak about the hold that Satan has on this world. John 14, 30, I'll no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this age is coming and he has nothing in me. Then going on after the resurrection, Paul says, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, referring to him as the God of this age. So there you have Satan ruling and reigning in a sense on this earth. And we see his influence everywhere, don't we? We see what he is capable of doing. 
But then we have this word principalities. You know, some of you may have a different word in your scripture. One other passage that uses this term principalities is Jude 6, and it's speaking with reference to angels. And the angels who didn't keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he's reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the day of judgment of that great day. So we see here you have Satan, the ruler of this age, the God of this world. This principalities word that Paul uses is used in another context relative to angels. And then you have the depiction from Revelation. It says, And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was there a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil, and Satan, who deceives the whole world, he was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. I always like to point out when you talk about, you know, sometimes we talk about heaven and hell and things like that. If you'll read Matthew 25, 41, Jesus tells us that he has prepared that lake of fire for the devil and his angels. He didn't make it for you. He didn't make it for us. It's for the devil and his angels. Look that up, Matthew 25, 41. But now we do have this note that sometimes people want to reject the love of God and they will ally themselves with the adversary. Doing the things that... And some of them, they go, well, I'm not an immoral person. I do some good things. But, well, uh, are you? I always love it when people say, well, God knows my heart. You know, when you're having a discussion, you're like, well, you know, God says this about this, that sin. Well, God knows my heart. That should scare you. I know my heart. And if you knew my heart, you'd be like, can't be our preacher. Right? Because we have all kinds of thoughts, urges, temptations, desires, drives. And you know, the fact that God still knows our heart and is still willing in His grace to give us salvation, says an awful lot about the kind of benevolent God that He is. So, okay, you have the hellfire that is created for the devil and his angels, and then you have the heavens that are created, a paradise for humanity. You know, we talk a lot about, well, when we die, we go to heaven, you know. And have you read about what heaven's like? Sounds like a real nice place. He will wipe away the tears from their eyes. There will be no more sorrow or suffering or death because the former things <clears throat> will have passed away. I like the sound of that place. So in various passages <clears throat> in the Old Testament, you'll notice that we get a glimpse beyond what we see in the natural world because Scripture gives us that glimpse. You remember that Jacob was about to encounter his brother Esau, and it had been a long time since they'd seen each other, and the last time they saw each other didn't really go too well. So he's going to meet his brother Esau, and he's a little worried about it, and so he finds this place, and he lays his head on a rock. I don't know what kind of a pillow a rock is, but man, the way they did things. So he lays his head on this rock that he makes as a pillow, and then he is given a vision. And the vision is, it's Jacob's ladder, right? It's really a stairway. I think Led Zeppelin got it right. It was a stairway to heaven, not necessarily a ladder. So, but the way that it was, notice when you look at that 
part right there, Jacob's ladder, and what he saw, angels ascending and descending, right? It's a way of God saying, don't worry about what's going on. I've got my hosts who are coming and going, doing my will on earth. So the former, the previous time that we had seen any kind of stairway is in Babel when they tried to build this great temple, you know, so... The, the stairways are kind of reminiscent of one another. But there you have a peer beyond the physical into the heavenly. There is this stairway, and God's hosts are coming and going. They're doing His will. You fast forward a little farther, and you get to, say, uh, 1 Kings 24. This was always neat. You have the prophet Elijah, but you also have um, all these false prophets that live among and around the king. Jezebel was the lady, and it was her husband, right? Do you all know who her husband was? Ahab, right? We know more about her than we do about him. But Ahab had all these prophets around, and they were going to go up to battle, and all his prophets are saying, you will surely win the battle. And so they said, well, what about, is there a man of God that we, and they're all like, what, what are we, chopped liver? And so they, there's this one prophet, Micaiah, uh, go inquire of him. And so they go and they say, hey, the king wants to know what you hear from God, but you better tell him what we've already told him. So Micaiah goes and, uh, well, will I be victorious in this battle? Yeah, sure. He said, I don't believe you. And so Micaiah says, I saw in the heavens God seated on his throne surrounded by a host, and they were all discussing this matter. And God says, who will go up to Ahab and entice him for me? And then the Bible says that a spirit stepped forward and said, I will go and be a lying mouth in all the prophets of Ahab. And God says, go and do it. So again, you see beyond the physical to the heavenly. If you want to look with me in your Bibles, look in 2 Kings now, if you're in Ephesians, hang a hard left. We're going to go back just a little bit. 2 Kings chapter 6. This is a familiar story to many. And it's one of my favorite stories where we're able to see beyond the physical and see the heavenly places and what exactly is occurring there. 2 Kings 6, verse 14 is where we'll start. It's nice to hear the turning pages of Bibles. It really is. It's like music, in a sense. 2 Kings 6, 14. Therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? And so he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those that are with them. Now, okay, you know this servant has seen this great army, and he's ran in to tell his master, the prophet Elisha, uh, what are we going to do? And he just nonchalantly, oh, don't worry about it. But th th there's more with us than with them. And he's probably thinking, we might ought to call them and tell them to get here. 
But then the very next verse, Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open the eyes, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So he's seeing this physical army and he's worried, understandably, and then he has his eyes opened by a grace of God and he sees this great host that they can't even see. And now he knows we're okay. And wouldn't it be nice in moments of peril or moments of anxiety or struggle that our eyes could be open and we could see what are the workings of heaven in this situation right now? It would be very nice to know it would put my mind at ease. But we have to remember what Paul said, we walk by faith and not by sight. So we have to trust the Lord that he's got it. And you know, the thing about trusting the Lord is that he doesn't do it on our timeline. He doesn't do it according to our will, but he does it on his timeline and according to his will. Okay, Paul. So we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and the powers in the heavenly places. How do we, how do we deal with that? And Paul tells them, verses 13 through 20, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. A lot of times today you hear people say, well, that's his truth or that's her truth. There's only truth. It's not subjective to a person. Truth is true. I wish that at least in high school, high school students had to read the works of Plato and Aristotle. Because the one thing you will learn is you will ask a whole bunch of questions. And that's exactly what a lot of attorneys do. They, they may have some studies in that and it teaches them that Socratic method of inquiry. It can be quite frustrating because you know, for example, someone say, well, have you been baptized? I'll say, I have been. Have you? Yes. Tell me about your baptism. Well, I just told you I was baptized. No. How did they do it? Well, they sprinkled me. You won't find that in the New Testament, and that's never called baptism. There is a Greek word for that. It's called rantizo, and it's used in the book of Hebrews about sprinkling the blood on the altar. But immersion, baptizo, that's the word that he says, that's used, that we are to subject ourselves to, that full immersion. So the sprinkling thing, that's, that's not necessarily biblical the way that it's used. So you have to define terms. You know, if someone, and, and you know, there's all these buzzwords going around today. You know, some were saying, do you believe in toxic masculinity? I, my, my first question would be, would you please define the term for me? Right, it's kind of like a spelling bee. Use the word in a sentence, right? Define the word. So you have to come to this understanding of what truth is. And if you discover that you believe something was truth, but that it actually wasn't, then it's our job to alter, to live within the truth. And let me tell you, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, oh, and the life. So... If Jesus in the truth, all truth has to be rooted in the person of Christ. 
And Christ has left to us His Scriptures. And so when people talk about these modern-day fads that are going around, and they try to say one thing is another when it's really not, well, you, you look at what Scripture says, and Scripture has uh, a pretty good handle on some things. So, gird your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Another way to say that is live right. It's pretty much what righteousness is. It's living right. It's living how God would have us to live. I know I'm not perfect at that. I'm sure you're not either. We try. We make attempts. But we often fail. And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. I think it's important to, to point that out, uh, the gospel of peace, because sometimes brothers and sisters will weaponize the gospel. We, we have a word for it. They're Bible thumpers, right? It's as if they roll this up and they, they just want to hit you with it. It is a gospel of peace. It's good news of peace, not of warfare, not of strife. Now, Jude says, earnestly contend for the faith. He never said, earnest, he never said be earnestly contentious about it, but earnestly contend for it. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. The shield of faith. I mean, they are depicting in their minds what a Roman soldier is looking like, how he is clad, and every piece of armor Paul is relating to something. The shield of faith. We often believe that faith is mental assent to something stated, and, and that is a part of it, but it's also holy trusting. Holy trusting. So, best way to illustrate this, there was a fire in London back in the 1800s in these, I don't know if they're called apartment, flats is what they call them, right? A whole bunch of buildings built together, and you have a top layer, a top floor and a bottom floor. And the fire was raging on the first floor, and a father was coming home from a factory, and he sees the flames and the fire trucks, and so he runs and, you know, they're trying, sir, you can't go. He said, my, my son's in there. And he's like, well, which one is he? And the smoke is billowing up and his son is sitting on the windowsill, leaning. But the smoke is so thick that he can't see. And so the father hollers out to his son. And he says, can you get downstairs? He said, I can't get downstairs. It's too hot. He said, okay, I want you to jump out the window. I'll try downstairs again, is what most people say. He said, but dad, I can't see you. He said, it's all right, I can see you. You see, the son has to trust the father, even when he feels like it could be dangerous. Faith is one of those things that you don't know how strong yours is until it's tested. What's that song we sing? Life is easy when you're up on the mountain. Yeah. It's easy to talk about being faithfulness and doing the right thing. But when you get put into a set of circumstances, you discover, do I truly have the faith that I ought to have? So have that shield 
of faith with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to the end with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in change, chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. If you've ever been down to the Parthenon in Nashville, Tennessee, when you walk in there, you see this giant statue, and that is a replication of the Greek goddess Athena. Now, it's real neat to go down there to walk around because nearly everything on her shield, there are certain depictions. There's a snake between the shield and her uh, thigh. But if you look in her right hand, it would be on the left, she is holding this little goddess in her hand. And this specifically was the goddess of victory. And her name was Nike, or as we say, Nike. Anybody got Nike shoes? Yeah, I've got a pair. They're so comfortable. But Nike was the goddess of victory. Now here's what's real cool. 1 John 5, 4, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the Nike that has overcome the world, our faith. I think connections like that are pretty neat. You may or you may not. When we give ourselves to the Lord in faith, we're essentially saying that what you say you will do, I trust that you will do it. When I was 12 years old, that Christmas, mom and daddy got me a 410 Winchester. And I was happy as could be. But daddy, before he handed me that 410 Winchester, he said, now boy, he said, you're not to ever load this gun in this house. And whenever you walk with it, your breech has to be open. You never flag anybody with it. That is, you pretend that that sight, that little dot on the end of the barrel, pretend it's like a laser and anything it crosses is going to cut it off. He said, now, if you're responsible with this, I'll give it to you. But if you ever act irresponsibly, I'm taking it from you and it's never yours again. Those were the conditions of receiving the gift. I was willing to abide by those conditions because my father and mother gave me a gift. When God offers to us salvation, it does come with terms. Faith is the beginning point. Belief, trusting. God says, I'll forgive all of your sins. I will make you a new person and I will have prepared for you in the heavens a home. We're not building walls around it. We're extending the table so that you can have a seat with us. So will you be bold enough to confess? I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Will you trust me when I say that if you go into the waters and in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are immersed, baptized, that I will wash away your sins and forgive you. 
our whole journey as a Christian begins with faith. We don't see what happens, right? We, it, it's not like, you know, you go down, you come up, and you may, or you make the confession, your eyes become brighter. We don't, we're like, I don't see a change. It hasn't occurred here. It's in those heavenly places. And we have faith in God, so that's why we do that. Because God says that he has promised to do this on this occasion, this on that occasion, and et cetera, so forth. I like to describe uh, God's love like this. <clears throat> so God is love, right? We read in Scripture. God so loved the world, we read in Scripture. What we have to do is reciprocate with love. Because God will always be loving, but if we reciprocate with love, we choose His presence, His grace, His mercy. But if we don't reciprocate with love, then we are choosing that bad place. That's always been funny when a person says, why would a loving God create a place such as hell? It's like, well, why won't you love God and not have to worry about it? Right? But when we love God and operate within His love, there's the reward. <clears throat> so you can have, say, two twin children, two twin boys. They got the same mother, and the mother loves each of them equally. She dotes on them. She snuggles with them, cuddles with them, kisses them on the cheek, says a lot of nice things about them. The one child loves it. He feels so loved, and he's really thankful for how his mother loves him. The other child, every time she comes near, Mom, stop. Quit. Ew. Right? What's, what's the difference? It's how they respond to the love. The one responds with love. The other rejects the love. Salvation is responding to love with love. Choosing eternal condemnation. And that second death, it's just not responding to love with love. It's actually rejecting it. So when you think about the hard times that are going on, when you think about the struggles that you're dealing with, when you think about Russia invading Ukraine, when you think about North Korea firing off a missile, or China m having movements in the sea toward Taiwan, when you think about riots and when you think about discord among people, a battle is being fought somewhere that we cannot see. So with faith, we entrust it to the Lord because the battle that really matters is one that he's already won. Let's stand and sing.